Get to the church blind! Get to the church blind! Go! Now! I'm Pete Mitchell, and he's Peyton Jones, and you're listening to Hardcore Church Planning, the companion podcast for the Church Planner Podcast and Church Planner Magazine. Each week, we'll bring you interviews from planners who are in the trenches making it happen right now. These active church planners bear it all, share their successes, their failures, and what they'd wish they'd known when they were first starting out. Listen in to discover how God is working in their church plan. Hey, church planner, this is Pete Mitchell. And this is Peyton Jones. Coming to you for a little hardcore church planting. Yeah, none of that soft stuff, man. You know, this is the hardcore church planning for hardcore church planners. This is like, um, I don't know, we're getting on a on a roll again. We we've been off of our our typical role, but uh, but we're back. Yeah, we're back, baby. Well, like you- Ghostbusters, except we're not women. <laughs> why, why don't you interview? Interview? I can't even talk now. Look at what you did to me. Why don't you introduce our guest and uh, and we'll get into the meat and potatoes of the podcast. All right. Pretty much, we are talking with a, an all round good guy. This is uh, Dave Runyon. He is a pastor in Denver, Colorado. And uh, as far as we know, he is not currently on drugs during this podcast, but he has written an awesome book called The Art of Neighboring. And uh, I had the uh, privilege of hearing him in San Diego speak to a room full of planners and and pastors, and he knocked it out of the park. So, uh, Dave, it's an honor to have you on here, man. It's good to be here. Dave, you know, one of the first things we always like to do when we bring on a guest, uh, for the people who don't know you and your story, we always like to have our guests share how they came to faith. So if you would, tell us your story. Yeah, you bet. So I grew up in Christian subculture, courtesy of Campus Crusade for Christ. Mm. So my parents were on staff with Crusade. Cool. And I have a great family, like really really fortunate, had two amazing parents. And so I just kind of, like most of us, you know, you, you grow up in that and kind of get plugged into like your little student ministry church thing. And then I had my other normal friends. And so I just kind of grew up trying to figure out, and I actually thought there was like this choice, I could have fun or I could be godly and follow a Jesus. Those were my two decisions, like in my little you know, mindset. And so however weird and jacked up that is. So I I lived like that for quite a while into my freshman year of college. And then it dawned on me that maybe like the Jesus way might actually be the best way. So I can, after kind of doing the, you know, putting on the little church youth group face and, or ministry face or whatever it looks like. And then I just started to think, after a series of hanging out with my other crowd and kind of seeing where that led, like maybe I should try just jumping in and committing and seeing what it's like when you actually follow Jesus. And so my sophomore year of college, that's what I did. And I'm still trying to work that out. I'm 42 now. And it's been, for the most part, it's been a really good ride. (laughs) Hey, you are the Star Wars age, man. You were three when it came out, ages three and up. We could talk for hours, Dave, about Star Wars, couldn't we? Um, Probably not as long as you think. Oh, Uh, dang. You're you're a sports guy. You're a sports guy, aren't you? All sports all the time. (gasps) 
Okay, well, you live in you live in Denver, so that's okay. Apparently, yeah. it's like the other religion. In, hey, if in, I lived in San Diego, I would probably really get into Star Wars. <laughs> if I had to watch the Chargers, <laughs> and, and if I had to watch Philip Rivers and the Chargers, I would for sure be into Star Wars. You know, I got great love from my hometown, but uh, that's pretty fair comment. <laughs> so, uh, okay, excellent. So, hey, man, how how did you how did you get into ministry in particular? Yeah, I kind of slid in through the back door. I was a high school teacher, and really, I thought that's what I was going to do. I was teaching high school, coaching baseball, and I was twenty four, twenty five years old, and started going to this church in Denver, kind of a young adult. Remember when we were doing Gen X church? Do you remember that phrase? I do. Yes. So I went to a nice little Gen X church and mainly because that's where like the largest group of Christian women were gathering (laughs) in our city. I I decided to start going to church there. And the pastor who was there at the time, this was one of those, it was growing really, really rapidly. And the pastor at the time there used a sermon illustration and it was uh, related to U.S. history, which is what I was teaching. And so I walked up to him after the sermon and I just said, hey, is that, is that like a real story or is that some pastor made up thing? Like, do you actually have a source for that that I could use in a classroom? Or is that just like, did you just kind of pull that out of thin air? And he started laughing. And he said, no, it's a real story. And he and I became friends. And six months later, he got sick. I think he called like 11 other people to preach for him that day. day. And then he called me. And Hmm. he asked me to come and to to teach for him. And it was really really one of those defining moments. I I remember sitting there thinking to myself, at that time, the largest group I'd ever talked to was 30 high school sophomores. And there's... 1800 people sitting in this room, like actual live adults. And I remember thinking to myself, God, I'm screwed. If you don't show up here, hmm. I'm, I'm done. Yeah. Like it's over. And yeah. I put my head down and I just, I still uh, say that when I'm preaching oh, all the time. <laughs> yeah. All the time. I try to go back there. I try to get back to that moment every time I'm going to teach. <laughs> and so I, I, I mean, six months later, they hired me as a teaching pastor, zero training. And then I started, I felt so deficient and I, I started to like go back and, and get some more formalized training. And I actually, was, so I was a pastor for 10 years here in Denver and I've worked at two great churches. And then six years ago, I started this thing where I'm, I spend almost all my time now. I just help churches work together in the Denver metro area to serve in the city. Yeah, baby. Well, tell tell us a little bit about the book. I mean, uh, you know how how did this book come about? First off, what it, what is it about? And then tell us a little bit of the background story. Sure, I'll give you the background first, and I'll tell you a little bit what's about. So, as I started to dream about John seventeen and unity among the body. I started to spend time with some of my other pastor friends in the area. We got pretty excited about the idea of stacking hands and really like making the, the gospel tangible in our city. And so we got, we got all pumped up about that idea. We have this horrible moment. We realized we didn't know our city well enough to know what the smartest thing to do was. So we're, we're sitting there. We're like, yeah, we should be working together. We should be leveraging all of our resources towards the same thing. And then we're like, uh, what should we do? Like what? what? It, was, it was a bad moment. Like that's a, kind of an indictment on you as a pastor when you don't know your own community 
well enough to know what the biggest needs are. Mm-hmm. And so we started to meet with different civic leaders. We called in the police chief and the city manager. And about six and a half years ago, we're all sitting in a room with our mayor and we're just getting to know him. And we're asking him these questions, trying to discern what's the smartest thing we can do in our community. And we asked him, hey, if you can wave a magic wand and change something about our city, what would you change? And he had, he had this great list, of all these different things. You know, I, I want to live in a city where there's no elderly shut-ins. There's no single moms uh, living below the poverty line. There's no debt. And all these different things that he listed off. At the very end, he said, you know, you guys want to have the biggest impact in our city. You should start a neighboring movement. Hmm. And he just says it like in passing. Like he's just going to kind of move. We're like, whoa, whoa, whoa. He, he's like, we're like, what do you mean? He goes, yeah, we, you know, the better people are connected with their actual neighbors, the less need there is for all the programs that we're trying to develop for people in need. And we were just sitting there listening to our mayor tell us that the smartest thing we could do is the Mm. thing that Jesus said to do. Mm. And like, what if we actually use the believers that were coming to all of our different congregations to, 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 be the best neighbors on their block? And what if we could spark and and start a neighboring movement in our community using the people that come and hear us every Sunday? And so that was it. I mean, that was the, that, that moment changed the trajectory of my life because it, for me personally, as a pastor, I was running around doing all these different things in ministry and I wasn't very intentional in my own neighborhood. I I was busy trying to like create programs so that people that like, didn't know God would actually like <laughs> somehow show up at our door. <laughs> and meanwhile, there's like people who are sleeping 30, 40 feet away from me. Yeah. And I hadn't bothered taking any amount of time to begin to get to know them and to share my story with them and to, and to learn their story. Mm. And so we, we all decided to stack hands around that and said, all right, we're going to do this as pastors. And uh, that was a big key is that we decided not to, I don't know about your friends, but in my world, all of my pastor friends, anytime something interesting happens to us, we just turn it into a sermon series like the next day. We're like, all right, uh, I'm desperate for something to say. So that was interesting. So <laughs> like it just becomes like a sermon. And we, we, we made an intentional decision not to do that. We said, hey, what if we just experimented with this for four or five months on our own, like in our own lives? before we do anything else with it. And so that was big. That was a really, really big decision. We kind of fell backwards into it. And that was that set the stage for everything else. So we started to experience some things as you know as individuals. And then by the time four months later we decided we shared it. We did a joint sermon series all across our city. We all did we all taught the same thing at the same time and it was really basic. It was like, hey, we should like the Christians should be the best neighbors in town. And so mm. let's start doing that. And that's, that was it. That's set us on this incredible journey. That's uh, totally ruined my whole life. <laughs> well, t- <laughs> in a really good way. Tell us what it looked like when you first started trying to get to know your neighbors. Hmm. Yeah. Really awkward because all, mo- most of my neighbors, I had met them all multiple times. But I, they weren't important enough for me to actually like 
remember their names. So when I when I started on this journey, it was like leaning into these mildly awkward moments in which I would like go and, and so I knew a few of my neighbors. But for the most part, there's 42 homes on my little loop. For the most part, these are people I'd waved to. I'd introduced myself to them six months ago. And then life happens. And then you realize, oh, what's that? I don't know. He drives like a blue car. But I can't remember his name. So I had to go and just eat crow. And I would walk up and just say, hey, I know I've lived next to you for 18 months. I know I've met you three times. And I'm really embarrassed about this, but I forgot your name. And, and then what I would do is I'd go home and I'd just write it down. I just write down, all right, that, that's that person right there, and that's their wife's name. And then I just started to use their names when I saw them. And then it went from that to, hey, did you see did you see that Broncos? You see when we just destroyed the Chargers? Wouldn't that like <laughs> you know we would like talk about normal things? It was like little. It's, it just starts off as like these little interactions, and then it moves to, hey man, I got this thing in my garage. I seem to move like thirty feet. Could you help me move that? Yeah, and hey, you and Jan are going to be watching the game. Why don't you guys just come over, and we'll just throw something on the grill and watch it together. Hmm. To, hey, your son's car is out there a lot now. Did, did he move back in? How's, how's that going? And then next thing we know, we're sitting across the dining room table, and we're talking about like the things that matter to us, the highs and the lows, why he decided to become an engineer what in the world it was like to be a pastor. Hmm. What, you know, and like think like, why do we back out of our garage every Sunday and go to church? Like things that like really, really matter. And I don't want to make that seem like it's, um, you know, two month deal. That's like, that's a two year journey yeah. right there. Yeah. And it's, it's just kind of organic relationship unfolding over time. Cause it's kind of weird, isn't it? There's kind of that elevator syndrome when you're in a neighborhood where you just automatically assume the other guy's weird. Yeah. Well, and I think as pastors, if you're a church planner and ministry, we're working from a deficit. Yeah, I think yeah. most people, like if you, if you're, if you're known as like a pastor or a ministry person and you, you do something nice for a neighbor, <laughs> their first, their first thought is what weird thing is this person going to do to me next? Like yeah. what awkward conversation are they getting ready to try to have with me? That's how they're thinking about us. How do you hope, neighbor? So, I just came to mow your lawn. <laughs> I just came to mow your lawn. <laughs> and to give you this track, uh, these like <laughs> ways that you can come to know Jesus. Uh, so it just took some time of us like leaning in and becoming friends with people for the sake of being friends with them. And I'm not like, I, I want all my neighbors to come to know Jesus. But if they never take a step towards God, I'm still going to invest in and continue to build relationship with them. And that was a big key. Yeah. Yeah. You know, you hear the stories of guys going, oh, just go mow your neighbor's lawn. I'm sorry, but as a red blooded male, if some dude came and started mowing my lawn, I'd feel kind of insulted. I'd yep. feel kind of like, dude, you know, so a lot of these stories that are in Christian land don't aren't really true. And I, what I like about you and your approach, Dave, is it's natural. I mean, I could really and I've heard you speak on this for, you know, uh, quite a chunk of time and it was all very down to earth and practical and real. Um, that, that's what I liked. You shared your story, but I could see myself 
going over and helping a dude on his car for well actually i couldn't see myself doing that i like star wars i don't know a thing about right yeah cars. you don't know about cars right no no you could but go help him with his like lightsaber i could hold the light him. and you know maybe change a tire we we went over that pete i could change a tire but that's about <laughs> as far as i go i could maybe change oil in the olden days but you, you sometimes you know, can change a tire I, I can sometimes i i had a tire changing incident dave where I just needed to pull harder. That was what I found out. That was that was a defining moment of uh, I'm 42 as well, and I knew God, it that yeah. night. But uh, but what I like was it's so down to earth. What would you say has been the the greatest challenge since you started this? Because what what everybody thinks, you know, coming into this is, oh man, I'm so busy already as a pastor. Yeah. You know, now you're wanting me to, you know, I got all these church people dragging on me all that. Now you want me to go have barbecues? Like, you want right. me to go meet with my neighbor? Like, where am I going to find time for that? Yeah. Yeah, it's really, that that's the real issue. The time piece is the issue. And I'll just tell you, for me, I had, after working 10 years in full-time ministry, I was craving something else. One, I was just running around like with my hair on fire, like doing a bunch of random stuff. Some of it was like helpful. Some of it wasn't. But I had, I just had ended up in this place where I was like spending the vast majority of my time with people who think like I do. And so when I started to engage the people who lived around me, it, it became like this huge breath of fresh air. I started to – because if you – if you base relationships on proximity and not just affinity, you're guaranteed to be hanging out with people who think about the world totally different than you do. And I was craving that. Like I, I wasn't articulating it. I wasn't like, was, but I was like, I wanted that really badly, but I just wasn't prioritizing it. And I think I had just like backed myself into a corner where I was just spending so much time with different leaders and people that were leading teams and all those other things that I had just put myself in this place where I had I had unintentionally wound up in this world of like this like Christian bubble, which from my story is like I didn't I didn't get into ministry to hang out with a bunch of Christians. I got into ministry because I wanted to be part of something significant. I wanted to be part of a movement and I want to see people who don't know God come to know him. And yet somehow I had allowed myself to drift in ministry into this place where I just ended up with a bunch of people that thought like I did. Hmm. With the goal and the intention of, yeah, we're going to reach people, we're going to reach people, we're going to reach people. But then I look around, all the people I was spending time with were people that already knew Jesus. So that, that'll that put you in a pretty bad place. And I, I was in that bad place. And so when, the, when God used the mayor to, to speak into this, it was like, oh, my goodness, I'm going to do this. I'm going to see what happens. And it started to open up all these other doors and it started to fill all these these different cravings, these desires that I had in my life that I had been suppressing because of my role in ministry. What, one of the questions I got for you is, uh, I, I don't know what it looks like where you live and how culture is um, around where you live. But people who listen to, for instance, Church Planner Podcast, they hear Peyton and, and me go off all the time. And I, I'm very much an introvert. Right. And I, I don't yeah. like to lead, uh, to meet people at all. It's just one of those things. I don't like it. My, and he's a touch freak. Don't touch him. Yeah. Well, that's that'll end our relationship right away. <laughs> Good, but, yeah. He's not cuddly. But uh, so like one of my neighbors, like my wife and I have lived here for it'll be 10 years at the end of this year. Uh, 
one of our neighbors we've never met, like just never even met them. And I was, I was joking. I wasn't joking, but I was talking to my wife the other day and I'm like, I'm on Facebook and you know how Facebook has that, uh, suggestion of a friends that, that you might, uh, friend. And yeah. I'm looking at this picture and I'm like, man, this person looks really familiar. I mean, it's a, it's a woman and her kid. And I'm like, who is this? Who is this? And then I realize, oh my gosh, that's my neighbor literally across the street from my house. <laughs> the only neighbor that I actually even know their name. And I couldn't even like recognize who it was. So my question is, and in, in in Southern California, this is a very common thing. Like people don't hang out in front of their house. Like right. I can drive down my street. My my street is two and a half miles long to get to my house, just loaded with houses. Right, I'm not in the middle of nowhere. I'm yeah. in Southern California, and you won't see a single person. It's not a very like get to know your neighbors type of environment. So my question is this: How do I get to know my neighbors? Like. What steps do I like make up a, Hey, I need to borrow some brown sugar. <laughs> I'll go ask my right. neighbor for that. You know, <laughs> need to borrow yacht polish from your neighbors. <laughs> yes. I, yeah. Describing your neighborhood is pretty amazing. I mean, you guys all live on like three acres, uh, you know, <laughs> two and a half million dollar homes. They're, they're two and a half million dollar homes, but they're only about 5,000 square feet of land. <laughs> Pete, you just got to ask for gray Poupon, man. That's the yes. way in that neighborhood. <laughs> Exactly right. Just roll down your window of your Rolls Royce and just ask for the Grey Poupon. And I think that's – and then ask for their name too. When you get the Grey Poupon, ask for their name and then go write it down. The problem is it's usually the chauffeur who I get to talk to and not not the guy who lives there. And then Pete goes away muttering to himself, filthy peasants. I can't be talking to them. (laughs) So – so let me go back to this. I, sorry, I sorry, even, Dave. This is a serious podcast sometimes. I got, yeah, guys, let's dial this in. Uh, when we, I, I think, you know, whether you're an extrovert or an introvert, it's awkward either way. I mean, when you, when you begin to engage a new person, there is this, I, I actually think the, the most important quality a good neighbor has is the willingness to lean into mildly awkward moments. It's mildly awkward to go over and to say, hey, I don't know your name and I've lived next to you for this long. It's mildly awkward to invite somebody into your home for the first time. But the payout is huge. Hmm. I mean, what, what you, you know, you get disproportionate results in neighboring. You learn somebody's name and they go from being a stranger to an acquaintance. You know, you, 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 real, you bring somebody into your home for the first time. That's a monumental threshold and it changes everything in a relationship. You ask somebody for advice or you go to borrow something instead of going to the store and it, and it just, it it creates this kind of reciprocal two way street between you and the person that you ask for advice for or ask to borrow something from. And so I, I would just say this, the little things make a big deal when it comes to neighboring relationships. And, and so I would just encourage you to think about, if you're an introvert, think about what are the things that you're already doing that you could invite somebody into? You know, what, what are the things that you're already up to, that you're already passionate about, that you could that you could begin to merge with people that live right around you? But mm. I don't want them to see my stamp collection. Oh, for sure. <laughs> yeah. They might steal it. <laughs> Interesting. I like it. I mean, you know, so here, I'll just give you the... So I've been doing this now for six years. And I've been... 
going around my city and around the country. And here's pretty much the whole deal. So I'm going to save you the time. You don't have to, you don't even have to get the book or read the book. Here's, here's what I think. I think good things happen when Christians like draw a circle around the places where God has put them and begin to do small things and work out from there. So we can kind of say, oh, everybody's my neighbor and the good Samaritan, you know, all that kind of stuff. But like, what happens when we as believers say like, Jesus meant my actual neighbors too. All that other mm. neighboring stuff I'm doing, it's real neighboring. But, but there's something about proximity. There's something about place. There's something about actually taking the second half of the great commandment literally and seriously that's really concrete. And it takes it from this metaphorical idea of, yeah, I should love my neighbor mm. to I, I'm actually going to like take steps to learn their names. Like I'm going to, I'm going to like just doing that. If, if, so if you're listening to this, especially church planners, yeah, you know, like if you're thinking about, I, I work with all kinds of churches and I'm just telling you like large churches implementing this, it usually becomes a sermon series. They yep. do a good sermon series and they're on to the next one. Yep. But there's church, there's a church plant here in Denver. That's been one of the most successful church plants in our city in the last 20 years. And they started by saying, I mean, my, the co-author, Jay Pathak, so this is another one, but co-author Jay Pathak is a vineyard church planner. And he planted his entire church with this idea of, we're going to actually take proximity seriously. And all I want you to do is to move into your home, get a job, and begin to like, actually love where you live and care about the people that God placed around you. Yeah. Um, there's a guy in Castle Rock, Ernest Smith at Front Range um, Community Church. They're doing phenomenal stuff. And he baked this into the DNA of his church from the start. Yep. And he just said, we're, and so I have a lot more hope for church planners doing this than I do from l- working with large churches that are saying, ah, uh, maybe we won't do small groups. Let's now try to do neighborhood groups and make these huge, you know, monumental shifts after they've already built their church. And this, this I think, is something where the culture is heading. And I think that if you do this from the start, the the fruit that comes out of it is really significant. And I can point you to a lot of different people that are doing it. And and maybe we put this up on the side of like, here's some places and some people and some resources for church planners that are taking this seriously and just living it out. And it's it's really basic. Like it's it's like, hey, would you be willing to learn your neighbor's names? Step one. Step two. Would you pray this prayer? God, what's the next small step you want me to take with one of my neighbors? Hmm. And then actually just do it. And then after you do that, like pray again, say, God, what's the next small step you want me to take with one person? Hmm. And that's been kind of the, the secret sauce that, that we've seen here in our city and in other cities that we've been working with. Right. Yeah, that's awesome, man. Let me ask you real quick. Um, you One of the coolest things that you have with the book is you got this magnet that you can put up on yeah. your fridge and it's got, you know, the, it's basically the cover of the book. Um, yeah. just tell us a little bit about where they can get one of those. Cause I found that really cool, man. I got one on my fridge. Yeah. So the magnet is a hundred times better than the book. The magnet like was the key to everything we did. <laughs> <laughs> Dead serious. The magnet is the key to everything we did in our city. It's this little, it looks like a tic-tac-toe board and it's just like, a little tool where we can learn and retain our neighbors' names. All it is is put it on your fridge, begin to write down your neighbors' names. And for me, in my life, it just did something to me. Like my mm-hmm. wife, we, it was on a napkin, and my wife just like put it up on our fridge, 
And all of a sudden we started to fill it in. And there's all kinds of there's all kinds of crap on my fridge that I just never even look at. It's like my kids' artwork and school grade, all that stuff. <laughs> but like but like for some reason I just kept looking at this. And it my like God did something to me. My it went from like my neighbors went from these people that, that have certain numbers of kids and drive certain types of cars to like real people with real names. And they started to get inside my thoughts. They started to get inside my prayers. And and then I started to use their names when I saw them. They started to use my name. Mm. And it just it, it took out this the main obstacle of growth. And, and it just allowed organic things to start developing after that. So and so we get we try to give away everything we can. So we have a website. It's artofneighboring.com and the magnets. I think we, we just sell them at cost and go like 40 cents to go get a fridge magnet and you could give them to your team at your church or whatever you want. And then there's a bunch of other stuff there that we've learned since we've written the book and a bunch of random stuff. It's almost all of it's just free. Yeah. And I, I love your heart on that, man. I know you're not there to flog a book. Um, I'm glad you did write a book. I'm really glad you made a magnet. Um, yeah, but, too. uh, church planner, you know, you should definitely, uh, check this out. I've, I've heard Dave on it. I've got mutual friends with Dave. Uh, we connected at a conference. He's good stuff, man. Check out his book, um, buy it, read it. And church planner, if you have not done what, what Dave said, if you have not gotten to know your neighbors, what in the heck you do in church plan? That's what I want to know. So there you go. Preach it. Absolutely. And, uh, <laughs> so here's the deal, man. Um, we want to thank you for coming on. Definitely check out his uh, podcast. Stupid, stupid iPad going off, man. Yeah. So uh, anyways, um, <laughs> artofneighboring.com. And uh, Pete's got a final little question for you. Can't wait. Yeah, well, before we actually get to the question, I just want to let everyone know that you can pick up The Art of Neighboring at Amazon.com. And they do have an audible version. So for all of you who are like me and would rather listen to the book, you can get a, uh, a free trial of that book at audibletrial.com forward slash CPM and, uh, and get that for free. But here is the question for you, Dave. If you were to get into a physical fist fight with Caesar Kalinowski, who would win? Oh, game over. Uh, for sure me. I, I found this. If you just act like you want to fight, then you don't really get into fights. And so I think I would just like pretend like I wanted to fight him and he would just cower. I, like I love the fact that you brought it. You brought it Denver style, baby, because you don't mess around in Colorado, man. They're like, I'm not. I can't fight, but I can act like I want to fight. Heck yeah, man! You do, you know, but you smacked on no contest. Or he's dig got that. that like weird little hipster mustache. Oh I yeah, mean, I could probably just like take him by that, and it'd be game over. Oh yeah, baby, you just you just grab hold of that mustache like two bronco <laughs> horns, man. You just let him know who's the boss. <laughs> There we go. Do you pull or do you throw him? Would, how are you gonna you gonna pull until he cries, or are you gonna throw him across the room? I mean, it actually I don't nothing. I just like looked like I wanted to fight, and he ran away. I didn't even get a chance to grab the mustache. So you give him the look, and then you go, "Hey, man, if you <laughs> come close to me, I will grab that mustache." That's what you do. Exactly. I dig it. I like. I that. mean, he's threatening the mustache. For, I think that's for any if you're in a fight with any hipster. You threaten to touch the mustache. You don't even have to talk about grabbing it or pulling it. Just threaten to touch it, and I think it's game over. You know, and you're not far off because I remember in the 80s when guys used to wear earrings, and I I literally saw a big hey, there, By the way, there's guys right now listening to this that are wearing earrings, so I love this. So keep going. 
You've just yeah. offended you've just offended part of your audience. But this Dude, is good. hey, guys stuck in the 80s, if you read Church Zero, cha-ching, you know I love you. Come on. If you're stuck in the <laughs> 80s, you know I love you. You're on you're on the home team. So no, no, no need to offend there. But here's the deal, man. I, I literally saw a little dude tell a big dude. He and, just goes And now we're offending little dude. You dude, I love it. He is I, a little I, dude. Phenomenal. He's he's one of them. He he gets to say it. <laughs> I you know, I'm speaking on behalf of my people. Okay. <laughs> we feel, and in fact, this makes my people look good because this is short man syndrome. So this big guy's being all aggressive, and this little dude goes, "Hey, nice earring." <laughs> <laughs> and when he did that, he wasn't like calling him a girly man. He was he was saying to him, "Okay, you try it, and I'll rip that thing out." And the dude backed off, like, "Oh dang, man, don't grab me by my earring." <laughs> but I digress. Well, hey, this has been Hardcore Church Planning, and we've had Dave Runyon. The fact that we can mess around so much with Dave uh, just pays higher tribute to him. Certain guests get mad at us, not Dave. Dave is a good <laughs> dude, and uh, we actually don't know afterwards he's going to chew us out. But here we go. We have been listening to Dave Runyon talk about his new book, which is Yard Neighboring on Hardcore Church Planning. Sign us out, Arnold. Remember, if you are called to church planting, go hardcore or go home. You've been listening to Hardcore Church Planting. Hardcore Church Planting has been brought to you by the Church Planner Podcast and the Church Planner Magazine, which is available in the App Store for both Apple and Android devices. If you like this episode, leave us a positive review. If you didn't like this episode, we'll be happy to give you your money back.